0: Hi everyone. We're going to be reading out of Matthew 4:12 through 22. I don't think it's on there it is. Now when we when, now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he took two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat, and their father followed him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Rachel and Will and the worship team. I'm so glad that we did the prayer time tonight. Nicholas Kappas is back there, and he came up to me and said, "Hey, I know that pastor, um, and I have his number." And he took a picture of y'all, and uh, and so he's he sent it to him and just said, "Hey, our church is praying for you." And so I just think that's it. Just. Is a really sweet moment in a really terrible time. Uh, I'm Thomas Nelson. If we haven't met, I am the young adult pastor here, and it's great to see you this evening. I just want to start us off. This is like one of those nights where if you've been around church for a while, you definitely have heard this passage. So as a listener, I know what it's like. To sit in your spot and hear someone preach on something that you're like, I know this story, but I promise you, as a as a preacher, it's much more difficult to uh, to say, okay, Lord, how do you how do you have a freshness about something that's so familiar? Um, I mean, just imagine Christmas. We only have so many choices, and so like, there's you know. Uh, but the word of God is living and active and I just want to give you the the big picture in this call of the first disciples and the big picture is this and I put it on the group me but if leaving behind the current life to follow Jesus is frightening to you then I have not fully realized the scarcity that I am currently calling a feast nor the feast that is called life with Jesus. I think I heard this when I was, uh, from my old student pastor, way back in the day, I might have been in high school or college, and, uh, and he said, you know, Satan's greatest lie, Satan's greatest lie is that God wants to take away all your fun. And I was like, you preaching, you preaching to the choir now, brother, tell me more. Because um, like, I was definitely afraid that, that the Lord's plan was to ruin me. Um, I don't know if it was from sermons that I heard, I'm not sure what it was, but I was definitely like afraid of full submission to the Lord because full submission to the Lord seemed daunting. And that's because I believed that the scarcity that I called a feast that was my life was a feast. And I didn't realize that Jesus, life in him is the actual feast. And so tonight's passage is actually really special to me. I was in ministry, I was serving the Lord and things had gotten really, really cold in my in my personal walk with the Lord. I felt like I was trying to get super creative in sermons and I was trying to come up with stuff and like cool things to say in passages like this because like, I just didn't know anything else that there, I thought maybe I had like plumbed the depths of the scriptures and you just, at that point had to get really, really creative. And there's always been really creative communicators. I unfortunately am not a super creative communicator. Uh, and so like, I need the Bible to talk from. And, uh, and so, which is, which I think is a gift. If I was super creative, I might leave the Bible aside and just tell you really interesting anecdotes. Uh and, and, People do that, but the Bible, I knew it was important, but my faith had grown really cold, and a friend of mine sent me a bootleg audio that he had stolen. Stole, he was supposed to pay for it, and he stole it, and he sent it to me, and, uh, and he said, listen to this. And as a good minister, I was like, okay. And so I listened to it, and I had never heard the Bible come to life like I was hearing in that Fifty-minute lecture, and I was like, "Do you have more?" And he said, "I stole all of them." And so, so I had this like whole library of like completely just ripped audio from this guy that was making his living off of this. He's doing fine now. He's doing fine. He he offers them all for free now. And so, like, I just think I helped pave the way. Uh, and so, but anyway, um, but. Tonight's message is, I hope, good. I hope it's helpful. I hope, most of all, that the Spirit of God moves. Because the Lord used this passage to really help change my life. And so, just to kind of draw that out just a little bit before we get into it, I want to do we did a little interactive before, I want to do a little interactive right now. So, maybe with the people that you prayed with, somebody you're around. When you think of the Bible, you. Now, I know we have a, a variety of folks in the room. Some have a, a, a deep acquaintance with the scriptures, a deep knowledge. Some are just acquainted. Some are like, yeah, man, my friend drug me here. Um, and so you, it's fine. This is, uh, we're all an open book here. So you just say, I don't know. But when you think of the Bible, who are the top three Bible people that you think of when you think of the Bible? Now, this is where you talk to each other. The top two or three people you think of. All right. Unless you know middle names, you ought to be done. All right. How about this? Who, when you think of a book of the Bible, when you think of a book of the Bible, what, like your favorite one, the one you're just like, this is it. And if you don't know, like if you're like real super Christian, it's your email signature too, or your Instagram like handle, like it's right under there. Um, And so when you think of a book of the Bible, what is it that you're like, this is my book, this is my go-to. Ready? Go. Okay. Show show of hands. Show of hands if you said Romans. Roman nerds. All right. Show of hands if you said like one of the, one of the other epistles like Colossians or Philippians or, uh, yeah, okay, there we go, I see that. There we go. Anybody say an Old Testament book? Just raise your hand. All right, very good. How many, your friends are next to you, you can't lie on this. How many of you said one of the four Gospels? Okay, When I was going through that dry spell, and even before that, I typically avoided the Gospels. I was like, I get it. Like, and, it and it didn't mean it trivial. He, Jesus came, uh, this, this virgin birth, and then he grows up and he lives a sinless life, and he's a good teacher. I couldn't have told you many of his teachings, but he was a good teacher. Even my agnostic friends would say that. He was a good teacher. And, uh, and then he dies on the cross and we celebrate his resurrection on Easter. Now let me get to the other stuff. And the other stuff for me was how to live my life better. And so the reason that I found myself in this gully that was super dry and I was stuck was because my faith had become about me and me living a life that pleased God. And I had left, I had left the whole purpose of the faith and that is to know Jesus Christ, to fall in love with him. And certainly as a result, out of a thankful heart, my life changes, and I respond with a different way of living. I want us to, I want us to remember Paul, Abraham, Moses, David, Isaiah, Elijah, John the Baptist, all the Marys—Mary, Mary Magdalene, Ruth—but uh, they, they want us to remember Jesus in Hebrews. Chapter 12, the first two or the first three verses say this after this whole list of people that came before Christ that helped pave the way for Jesus to come. It says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. The whole point of Hebrews 11 isn't to study how faithful these people were. The whole point of Hebrews 11 is to point us to the one they were being faithful for. And so our faith, this relationship that we talk about week in and week out, is just futile unless I'm looking to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith and the only way that i have found to really look to Jesus is to go back to the gospels and dig and dig and dig and see who is this man to go back to the old testament and to see how is this this whole thing building to pave the way for the Messiah to come. And so if you'll look with me in Matthew chapter four, I'm gonna say a prayer and we're digging in. Lord, I just ask that you would speak to us in the next few minutes on this call of the first disciples and at the end of this, Father. As Will has said earlier, Lord, that maybe we forget what songs, maybe we forget all the points in the sermon, but Lord, may we not forget Jesus. May our hearts be drawn to him and may he, Eclipse everything else that stands between us and Him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry here. And before you make like a judgment about Jesus or uh, or mistake him, for, or mistake some of your Christian friends for him, I think it's good for us to dig in and see who he is and what he's up to. So verse 12, the reason I included this, is it's important, the first little, little part here before we get to the calling. Now, when they heard that John had been arrested, and when he heard John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went up into Capernaum by the sea, He lived in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, the sea of the Galilee, of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And so let's pause right there. You and I typically would read something like that and we'd be like, okay, let's get to the calling of the disciples and let's figure out why in the world they would immediately leave their jobs and follow Jesus. But you have to go to this part before you can get to that part. That's why it's in here. No word is wasted. The Holy Spirit doesn't waste words. I waste words. The Holy Spirit does not waste words. And so what happens here is we see the setting. Jesus is leaving where he grew up in Nazareth and he's moving to a new place. There's a whole backstory. I scratched it all out on my notes because this is a sermon and not a class and so I scratched it all out. And so he, just trust me, he needed to go here. So he goes up to the Sea of Galilee the Sea of Galilee is a freshwater lake. It's just called a sea. Uh, and he goes up by this, and this place is a crossroads of, it has Romans that come down in it, and it has Hebrews that are in it, and it has a mix of other folks. This is a crossroad. It is the Uh, the Via Del Mar. It's the way to the sea, not the Sea of Galilee, but the way to the ocean. And so it's a trade route that he's on. So he goes and he lives there. And then there's two verses that are quoted from the prophet Isaiah. Now you don't quote a verse. It's like, this is not your college paper that you were like, I will use some quotes and I will fill this 10 pages up. Like that's not how the Bible was written. If there's a quote, it's a necessary quote. I did that so often, by the way. I was very good at making papers long, quick. And so anyway, yeah, these are necessary quotes though. So one comes from Isaiah chapter nine. The other one comes from Isaiah chapter 42. When you quote an Old Testament verse, and we're gonna see this in a minute, what you're actually doing is you're just saying the first part and it makes everybody think of the whole thing. For instance, if I said, yo, Adrian." Rocky, thank you. There we go. Yeah, like you know, and now you're like, which one? And now your mind is flooded. I'll get you back in a few minutes. Uh, and so, what happens is he's saying in the first one, in verse 15, he's quoting from Isaiah 9:2. If you follow through Isaiah chapter 9, you get to a really famous verse, Isaiah 9:6. For to us. A child is born to us, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What is Matthew showing his primarily Jewish audience because that's who this book is written to? He's saying, do you know who moved to the Sea of Galilee? The Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And you might say, well, Thomas, why why don't they just say that then? This is not our English modern literature. It's not the way they wrote. And so we have to do the diligence and say, well, let me figure out how they wrote because what they're saying must obviously be important because this is what they chose to tell the whole world about Jesus. And so Matthew is telling his folks, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace has moved to the sea. And then you go to the next verse and it talks about the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And this verse is talking about Gentiles seeing the God of the Israelites and they had their darkness with their pagan gods and now they're seeing this great light. And that's in Isaiah 42, six. But if you go to the start of Isaiah 42, Here's what the first three verses say. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He'll bring forth justice to the nations. Listen to these next two verses. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. This man, a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. So Matthew is saying to his Jewish audience, let me tell you who moved to the sea, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the one who doesn't break the broken, the one who doesn't snuff out those who have just a a flicker of light left in them. That's who's moving to your neighborhood. So now that he's given us that, he says, and here's what Jesus said. Verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's really good. And somebody told me the other day, they said, You use a lot of verses when you teach. And I said, I know. And so that's that. Um, Mark 1.15 is a, a direct parallel with this passage. And so I think we've got it up on the screen. Um, Mark one fifteen. you don't have to look it up. You can just see it on the screen. It's another way of saying what, just said, what what Matthew just said. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus, the wonderful counselor, the one who doesn't break the broken begins his whole journey in ministry by telling people repent repent follow me this is good news and i think we have to say is it is it really good news to have to turn my life around because that's what the word repent means. I thought he wasn't breaking people. I thought he wasn't snuffing out the ones who are just barely lit. To tell someone to alter the course of your life is not not super friendly unless they're headed down a really bad path and unless you've got a way better alternative for them. And so all of those things about him, the, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the, the one who doesn't break the broken or, or smush the, the ones who are almost burned out, it's all wrapped up in this one statement of repent, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so this is where our story today comes in. And I want to tell you this story in, in two movements. First, how I originally saw it. So if you, if you look on the screen, I think you'll, you'll see the passage up here. I've got it on my iPad, and so I'll just show it to you. What I saw when I first heard this story, before understanding the context of the scriptures, before understanding things like those two quotes were really important and what they really meant, I saw this as, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, Jesus is scary. If his first words to me are, you know your life is wrong, I'm like, oh, okay, and I'm supposed to sing songs to him. But I probably should, or I'll go to hell. I'm stuck. I definitely believe that he saves me from my sins, but I also don't know if I like him. And so then we keep going, and it says, While well, walking by the Sea of Galilee, now I picture this man walking by the Sea of Galilee going, Their lives are all wrong. All their lives are wrong. Hmm. And like, this is what I picture. And this is not helpful for me. And so then he sees two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and they're casting a net into the sea for their fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I'm like, okay, I can deal with that. Fishing's a hard job. Um, And so then he said to them, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately, this word always drove me crazy. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Like, Who does that? Do you know how many sermons I sat through before? Name a sin, any sin that I have dealt with, any sin I'm dealing with, do you know how many sermons I have sat through before I'm like, I should probably do something about that? Like, who are these people? How do they immediately just follow Jesus? And so now I'm thinking, well, I've already failed. They left their nets, they followed him, and then going on from there, Jesus is having quite a productive day. And going on from there, he sees two more brothers. James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee their father mending their nets and he called them and there it is again. That that word, immediately they left their boat and their dad and they followed him. And so what I was left with at the end of this story was I guess I'm just a failure. I dragged my feet I don't know if I would let my life go. Is fishing bad? It wasn't like they were like, had a meth lab on the side of the road and Jesus was like, guys, get out of the trailer. Come with me. Like, it wasn't, this wasn't like, something not like an episode of, this isn't Jesse Pinkman here. Like, it's, I know, it's an old show, but it's a great show. i um, sure I shouldn't say that. Don't watch that. So, what I'm, what I'm saying to you is if you don't understand the context, what you see is a call to leave the world behind. You see no introductions. Did you notice that? There was no introductions. How did they know who he was? There's no introductions. Andrew, James, and John, they just, and Peter, they just leave with no questions. And how, is this how Jesus works? You just get ambushed. And if you don't, uh, and if you don't go without asking any questions in return, then you're sunk. But the good news is, That's absolutely not how this story reads. It's just how it reads if you read it in 2023 with only your knowledge of your life. The Bible can't mean something to me that it didn't mean to them when it was written. This is a Jewish book. Matthew's gospel was written to Jewish people. So let me tell you how they would have read it. So when a Jewish kid was five or six years old, they would start school. And I'll show you, there's there's basically three paths to school for these Jewish kids. When they're both boys and girls would attend school. But only the gifted kids would continue education past about the age of 15. So study begins at age five or six in elementary school, which is called Beit Safar. Beit Sefar, which is, uh, yeah, it's up here on the screen. Beit Sephar means house of the book. So between five and 12 years old, all boys and girls would go to school and their textbook for science, for math, for literature, the arts, was all the Torah. And you say, well, how do you use that for math? Well, how many days did it take for God to make the world? Don't say seven, six, that's right. But how many days are in a week? Seven. And so you start like, you start doing math. You start figuring out how many troops there were and how much this, you do geography. You do all this stuff and you use the Torah. And so from from basically kindergarten to sixth grade, the little boys and girls would go to school. Once they hit sixth grade though, girls, sorry, you're done now. Uh, you, you go get married. 13 is when you could get married. I heard audible groans. <laughs> 13 is when you could get married. Um, and so that's why we think of the Christmas story. Make sure Mary's like young in your nativity set. And so, uh, so 13 girls could go get married. And boys, though, if you did good, you would sit down with a rabbi. And the rabbi would say, Ben, you shouldn't be on the front row, brother. Here we go. The rabbi would sit down and he would say something like, he would say, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain and sat down and his disciples came to him. And now Ben, obviously this is a New Testament passage, I'm in Matthew 5 reading this to him. Ben would then recite to me every word of the Sermon on the Mount. However, they were supposed to, the advanced students, have learned Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So don't cry when like, your small group's like, we're memorizing three verses this week. <laughs> they would have this Torah Q&A. The ones who did well around the age of 13, would then move on to Beit Midrash, the second phase of school. And so when they would go to Beit Midrash, they would go to what's called the house of study. Beit always means house, the house of study. Uh, and so they would go to the house of study and they would continue to develop their study in hopes not to be a scientist, not to be uh, 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 you know an architect, not to be an engineer in hopes to be a rabbi. It was the highest position in the community. But most would fail out. And eventually, by the time a person turned 20, if they were still hanging in there, at this point, by the way, they could quote the entire Old Testament by memory. And if you think that's impossible, I know two people who are alive right now who have memorized the Old Testament. And so by this point, at 20, they would have another Q&A. And if they were the top shelf, a rabbi would approach them and say, come, follow me. Is the story like changing just a little bit as we hear some of these things? The rabbi would come and say, come, follow me. And it was the highest honor. And so they, and if not, they would learn a trade. They would go do something else. But what would happen as they entered the rabbinic study is they would follow the rabbi and the whole goal of a disciple or the Hebrew word Talmud, the whole goal of a Talmud, a disciple, is to be like the rabbi. That's my whole goal in life is to be like this rabbi because this rabbi knows God so well, I can be like him. So let's go back and look at this story. So from that time, Jesus, who is a rabbi, begins to preach. Every rabbi had their own message because the way they studied Torah, it's how they saw the things of God. And so every rabbi would have his message. And they, by the way, they would call their message, their main message, their yoke. Now, now Matthew's like all kind of opening up for you. Jesus said his yoke was easy, by the way. And if you just want to like, spoiler alert, one of, the, one of the guys came up to him and said, what's the most important command, which is how you defined your yoke? Jesus said, the most important command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He, like, he was like a good, good rabbi because he said, all the law and the prophets hang on those two verses. Like, done, let's go to lunch. And they didn't have any response. They were like, good answer. I'm gonna write that down. So his message, this rabbi, is repent the kingdom of heaven is at hand, And because he had been in the area, the reason we read the verses before this, people knew this rabbi was in town. They knew that he was doing incredible things. And so one day, this rabbi goes walking by the sea, and everybody knew who the rabbi was. And he sees two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. And I just want to pause right here. Look at this. If... This, this is, I've seen this a couple of times out this past Sunday when I was preaching. Uh, when Jesus sees, when he sees you, watch out because he doesn't just look. When he sees, he takes action. So he sees these two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and they're casting a net into the sea. Let's pause right there because they were fishermen. That means they failed out of school. That means these are like not the smartest guys. These are normal guys. These are common guys. So Jesus sees common guys. And what does he say to them? He says, follow me. Now that is the normal line. That's where the rabbi stops. Come, follow me. But Jesus, I like this expression. He's a little cheeky. I think with maybe a wink and a grin, he says, I'll make you a different kind of fisherman. And they're like, this is good. We will follow this guy. So of course they're going to follow. They just got, they just clipped a whole bunch of classes. Like they made it. Like, don't check the transcript. Just give me the job offer and let me sign. Like, that's what's happening here. They just got a hall pass of hall passes. And so now they're in. They're like, he sees me and he values me and he wants me to follow him. Done. Done. And he says something interesting here. He says, not you will become, not if you work hard enough, you will be fishermen. He says something interesting here. He says, I'll make you. And now all of a sudden, the word immediately makes a ton of sense. They're like, no questions asked. I'm out. And so they left their nets and they, they followed him. Immediately they followed him. And going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets and he called them immediately and they left their boats. So what happens here? They're in the boat with their father. They're mending their nets. He calls them. He calls them and immediately they leave and they follow him. He calls, they follow. He calls, they follow. And it's immediate, every time that is, looks like eyelashes. Immediately, every time. look. to repent simply means to leave. And this, this call. Is when Jesus sees. And this kingdom of heaven is attained by following him. When Jesus sees you, he sees exactly what he saw with these folks. He sees what's the potential, he sees what's there, he sees what he designed, he sees what he made. He doesn't see like everybody else sees. He doesn't see the front that you put on. He doesn't see that outward exterior thing that you're doing to get to to achieve what you want to achieve. No, he sees who you really are. And he calls anyway. And and when he calls, because he sees, he always calls for you to leave something. Because he wouldn't have to call you if you were already following him. It's natural that you would have to leave something to follow him. And so he calls, you leave, you follow him. You can't can't stay and follow at the same time. Because then you have two masters and no one can serve two masters. They'll love the one and they'll hate the other, or they'll hate the one and they'll love the other. You You can't stay and follow at the same time. You have to leave. And, and there was this expression that the rabbis would, that the, that the Talmud would say about their rabbi. And, and this, the man who I learned so much of this from, Ray Vanderlaan, he's this incredible teacher. He's an old man now. Um, I think he's old. He's still alive. He's older than me. He's much older than you. And so Ray, Ray taught this expression. It's such a great expression. It was called the dust of the rabbi. And the disciples would say, once they were called, once a rabbi would say, follow me, the disciples would say, I'll follow you so close that by the end of every day, I wanna be covered with the dust that is kicked up from your sandals. And so this, this story captured my heart because I didn't know what I didn't know. I thought Jesus was this hard man making hard deals that were impossible to follow unless you just were unless you just hated being a fisherman But when the key went into the lock and the, the 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 chains fell off and I started to see, oh my goodness, this is who he is. He's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He's the, he's the one who doesn't, doesn't break the, the reed that is hurt. He doesn't snuff out the, the wick that's barely burning and, and he is offering hope to people who were just common, who were just doing their own thing, who didn't get offered hope from anybody else. And and that hope meant they had to leave that life and follow him. I thought, he's good. And he's calling me. Why in the world would I, would I say no to him? I didn't realize the honor that he bestowed on, on these men. I didn't realize that Peter, Andrew, James, and John understood that their lives were lacking. And, and I, it all of a sudden, the blinders fell off. And I, I also realized that that... I have not fully realized the scarcity that I had been calling a feast or the feast that is called life with Jesus. I'm gonna make this quick. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at this little T graph, super simple T graph on, on the temptation of Jesus and what is, what is Jesus' response, what is Satan's response, and it, it applies so well to this. Look. Jesus says, I'm gonna call you and that means you're gonna to have to leave some stuff. And then you follow me and I'll show you the kingdom of heaven and you'll never look back. And in that, he says, look, here's the key. I want you to know God. I want you to trust God. I want you to worship God. And simultaneously, Satan is, is chowing down on you and he is feeding on every fear that you have, just like he did with Jesus. And he says, no, 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 no. It's not know God, trust God, worship God. It's no self, trust, self, worship, self. And that's how you end up with a seriously broken girl who shows up at a school and does terrible, terrible things. Because the enemy, Satan, is horrible. And John 10.10 says, Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full, but the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy And so so before you turn down that offer one more time of repent, the kingdom of heaven is here, come and follow me. Before you turn down that offer one more time over a job or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a thing, before you turn it down one more time, just ask yourself, how well is it gonna treat you? Because the things of the enemy look real good, but they are there to kill kill and to steal and destroy. But Jesus comes so we might have life and have it to the full. So look, you don't necessarily have to leave your job to follow Jesus unless your job is just inherently sinful. But to follow Jesus, you do need to have no plan B. We don't need to have some sort of net to fall back on. And one last thing, this isn't a one and done. For those of you who've been following Christ for five or 10 years, it is daily that we take up our cross and follow him. It is daily that we listen for his voice as soon as we wake up that bids me come and die and follow him And the world needs folks that wake up every day and are going to say, here I am, Lord, send me. My encouragement for us tonight is isn't he lovely? The rabbi just taking a stroll on the beach. I wonder if he had asked other people before he got to them. When he asked those brothers, and they dropped their nets, two of them left their dad, left the boat to get covered in the dust of Jesus. You think at the end of it they ever looked back and thought, what a mistake? I guarantee you they didn't. There's no adventure, no life you can plan. They can compete with the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the one who doesn't break the reed or snuff out the smoldering wick. So if he's seeing you and he's calling you, it's a good call. Leave the thing and follow him. Lord, I ask that you would move in our hearts this evening. Lord, whether we've been a Christian for a day Ten days, ten years, we constantly wrestle with going back to the old life. May we see that Jesus is lovely, that this rabbi is amazing. And isn't it amazing that he sees us? What are manful that you what is, what is man that you are mindful of us? Your thoughts for us outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. And it is too wonderful for me to behold. Jesus, forgive me for holding on to the things I'm holding on to if they're contrary for you. Lord, would you convict my heart that I might repent, that I might leave those things and come and find life to the only one who really loves me. It's in Jesus' name I pray, Lord. Lord,